so, so normally the show starts with me um, introducing myself, and then I say, and, and we're here with Steve, the, and he says, Big Cat Anderson, but Steve's Steve's uh, installing some pins and some arrows right now because he's headed to Arizona Cup, so he's in the lab this moment. And I'm here with Rod the Rocket Menzer <laughs> to start out the show. Hi, everybody. It's uh, another Easton podcast, probably number 46, and we're here with our special guest, Rod Menzer of ProPoint, the competition archery products. Yeah. And uh, we're going to actually start out the show <clears throat> talking about a little bit of, of history with your company. Sure. Just to... Because it's a fascinating story. It's, it, no, I'm serious. It's an interesting story. So, it was off a need. <laughs> yeah, so, so background here just for a moment. Um, you know, as you've heard in previous episodes when we've talked to Rod, um, you know, this gentleman was one of the top recurve shooters in the world, uh, certainly one of the top uh, on USAT back in the early 90s. Um, there are stories to be told about some of the exploits <laughs> overseas that I'm privy to, but we probably I won't. nothing. I know nothing. Exactly. Nothing at all. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and then you made the switch to compound. Yes. In a big way. Yeah. And in fact, uh, you're, you know, a, a compound world champion in in, uh, in uh, field archery and also mm -hmm. indoor um, title with the mm -hmm. team and yep. um, world record holder with Correct. the U.S. team. Um, yep. Your other team members were Rio, Rio and Dave, and Dave yep. Cousins. Correct. So, um, you know, you, you've been at the pinnacle of compound and and are still right up there. In fact, you're in Salt Lake City right now to be working with the U.S. Paralympic team. Correct. Correct. So uh, you know, tons of experience here, folks, uh, with my good buddy Rod. And um, I think I'm going to start. You know, we, we said let's talk about your company. Uh, you know, everybody knows ProPoint, who's involved in compound, not so much recurve, but um, it's got an interesting start. How did that happen? Well, it actually. Started by necessity, literally. I was I was trying to get ready for the uh, world team trials in 2005. You'd made um, the switch to compound. Correct. I made the switch to compound. I had taken, after uh, shooting recurve, I started a career. I didn't shoot for almost eight years. And then I came back, and and I just didn't have the time I needed to do recurve anymore. So I ended up switching to compound and, um, you know, enjoyed the heck out of it, of course. And... I was getting ready for the uh, world team trials and our trials. I mean, our trials can be a lot harder than the world championships at times. And especially back then it was definitely was. And I was trying to get some 2315s um, all set up and working. And I was just struggling to get them to group properly. And it was a time when, when everybody would be shooting a heavier point, but they were, they were putting bullets in the back end or they were putting solder in, or they were using, weight kits and some other points and those things would bend or break and you know just no consistency and it was really struggling and I had a really really good friend of mine um mike Hendricks, who in his own right was well he's a world, world indoor champion exactly world indoor champion a vegas champion in a pro class um reading champion in a um, pro class and a national indoor champion in the pro class so he you know great shooter in his own right and he's a machinist, and we were struggling and struggling. We were using field points and inserts, and, and we were just everything to try and find something that was consistent and that would work. And, and eventually he got so frustrated, he said, that's it. What kind of weight do you need, and let's go. We're heading to the shop, and, and we designed something, and we built it. And um, 
put them in the arrows, and instantly my group just shrunk and tightened. Everything was, like, good. Yeah, Life was good. I mean, you know, there was more to it, to the story. I mean, you had guys trying all kinds of stuff to get the standard nib point that right. we, Easton, offered. Correct. Um, 32 caliber bullets come yeah. to mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right, because they come in grain weight. Absolutely. So yeah. you'd, go, you'd go and buy a box of, I'm not talking about cartridges here. I'm mm-hmm. talking for those, especially overseas. You can buy... St- standalone bullets that you then use for reloading or loading cartridges. And those bullets come in a very precise weight. Yep, grain weight. Yep. And if you find the right size bullet to fit in the back of a nib point, you can stuff one in there and yep. it'll stay. Exactly. Uh, especially if you yep. super glue it or epoxy it. Yeah, it was probably so Rio, the best. So Rio was doing that. Yeah, so was Dave Cousins. Yeah, Dave yep. Cousins. And, mm-hmm. and they were sick of trying to screw around, trying to... Correct. Correct. So yeah, I mean, everything worked really well. Went to the trials, um, ended up making the team and... Went to the World Championships and and uh, you know we shot great there, obviously, and, and won team gold and set a world record. And and afterwards, you know, Dave and Rio both asked, "Well, hey, uh, can you make me some of those?" Because they and, knew that you'd yeah. been using them, and yeah. they were they'd been shooting yeah. with the jimmied up points that exactly they had worked on, but you had the custom ones. Mm-hmm. I had the custom ones, so um, it was our original pro point, just a standard looking point, and and we went. I made some for them, basically to the weight that they were currently using. Um, sent it to them. They tried it, and they just absolutely loved it. So at that time, that was the standard sort of ogive bullet-shaped point. Correct, correct. Just like a nib. It looked just like an Easton nib, basically. What we call today is our, our original pro points. Moving forward a little bit, you mm-hmm. had a situation where you had some shooters looking for a fix for a problem. Yes, yeah. The first Actually, problem being Vegas. Yeah, the first problem is Vegas. Basically, the, the Morel bag targets that we shoot in Vegas and at Nationals and Iowa Pro-Am. And, and there was, you know, everybody who shoots those knows, and if you use a standard point, you know that sometimes your arrows can go in there and be pretty crooked. Especially back then, they didn't, re, you know, fix them up as nice as they do now for all the shoots and redoing them. And, and some of those get pretty worn, and your arrows would be in there so crooked sometimes, you know, angled and you'd lose points so um you know looking at that we're trying to find a solution and and um actually worked a little bit in in brainstorming uh, some possible solutions with dave cousins and ended up creating our pinpoint um so made some of those sent them to dave we tried them and they worked great matter of fact he took that very point that i made that year and he went and he won vegas so i think that was a pretty good testament that yes those work and that started the pinpoints. Then people wanted the pins because, uh, special, specifically for for that target butt, where it helped keep the arrow straighter yeah, in the target. <laughs> hey, Steve. <laughs> um, so we, you know, we had that, and and then you know, of course, doing more testing with Hooter shoes and different things, we found it actually helped in in target wear, um, improved that, and kept the arrows, you know, holes tighter and scores higher, and and. So those points were, were working great, and it just they took off. Yeah. And then uh, was that Lancaster shoot, going into our next point, uh, was at the Lancaster shoot, and I ended up going to dinner. It was with uh, Dan McCarthy and, and a couple other uh, Top 3D, 3D guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yep. And Dan, you know, they were talking about the points and just loved those pinpoints, and they were like, boy, if you could only do something for 3D, man, we have – I mean, especially for – for hitting the back end of a gold tip pin, you know, those crazy pin knocks on a big shaft and they were kissing out and they kiss out 12 inches. Yeah, exactly. And, and that could cost them a tournament. 
So kind of went back and and put the thinking cap on and, and created some designs and took out the Hooter shooter and started hammering the back end of arrows <laughs> um, and and testing different angles and different things and and we um, we came up with with two different styles. It was a what we call the 3D knockbuster pin, as well as the um, regular standard um, original knockbusters, sent the those uh, two different styles out to some of the shoes like Dan, and they, they tested them, and they came back and were just loving the points and how, again, you just did not. They'd rather tube an arrow than kiss out because, again, tubing an arrow, you get the good score. Kissing out, not so good, and it could be the tournament. So um, that worked well because of the long, long pins were – not as durable. We decided to literally pretty much just just do the regular original 3D knockbusters. We only did the, the pin style knockbuster for a couple shafts, but we went to those other ones, and those have taken off, of course, and become a, a standard um, in the industry as yeah. far as the style. And as you're well. pretty much making those for everybody's arrows in the industry. Yes. Yeah. Yep. yep. We, you know, <clears throat> we're selling your your uh, for the first time. We're selling a, a third party point, mm-hmm. and that's the pro point for the Super Drive 23. Mm-hmm. And it's been going really well from the standpoint of performance. People love it. Yeah, and Jesse pleased. Broadwater <laughs> just sent Steve an image. Uh, how many? Steve, here, grab my mic and just tell the story. Yeah, he he's um, he's actually kind of complaining. I think <laughs> that he's Robin Hooding too many arrows. So yeah, he's like, maybe I'll have to try a pin. <laughs> Maybe that'd be a good idea, Jesse. So yeah, and again, with if you got the right point and you hit the back end of a pin, you 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 shouldn't lose out as much. Um, however, again, it's all what you need and all what you're looking for. So you know, recently, and I don't know how much you want to get into this, but recently you you've put more into your company and, yeah, and gone absolutely. pretty much all in. You've got mm-hmm. your own Swiss CNC machines, and yep. uh, you're expanding. Um, yes, it's a premium product. Correct, correct. And it's going to stay that way, I gather. It, it is. You know, we, we take a lot of pride in, in servicing our customers and, and literally making a point that is going to be consistent and, you know, accurate. And It's kind of like the biter knock of points. Exactly. You know, when people get a pack of our points, they should do what they're advertised to do. They should help them shoot to their best, you know, to wherever they shoot that arrow, it should go, and it should be more consistent, and and, and that's the whole goal, and, and you know, I'm hoping that's what people are finding. So what's it like running your own business now? I mean, you've been doing yeah. it, but you know what I'm yeah. saying. Now yeah. you're Well, you know, it's it's um there's of course a lot of headaches as you're you're always you're doing the cash flow thing with all your uh, all the dealers and everything else you got going I don't think on, people but it's realize a lot of fun. How many costs are associated with this. <laughs> no, stuff. absolutely. You, you get the excise tax, you know, there's 11% excise tax on it, then you're on paying, every point sold in the United States, point. it's 11% of the retail. Correct. Correct. That you're paying in federal excise tax, and then you know, of course, you're you're paying tax on, you know, the income that comes in at, at the personal income tax rate. On top of that, which is pushing forty percent. Yep, exactly. And you know, the, of course, state, and then if you, you small business tax, so you've got to pay another fifteen percent small business tax where I'm at in Wisconsin. So, you know, when you add it all up, you know, more than 50% of the cost of those points is just in taxes alone, sure. let alone materials and equipment and everything else. You know, it's a flat rate with arrows. Arrows is 40-something cents per arrow, right. uh, unless it's a under 29-pound arrow, like for a kid's mm-hmm. arrow or a wood arrow. Yeah. Uh, actually, no, that's not true. Yeah, it's still 49 uh-huh. cents, unless it's a wooden arrow. <clears throat> that's the exception. 
So, you know, it's, it's, uh, people don't realize that's supposed to be going, that money is supposed to be going to Pittman Robinson Act, right. you know, preservation of wildlife. Correct. Um, the perpetuation of bow hunting, mm-hmm. things of that nature. I'm not sure where it actually gets spent, but hopefully that. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it's going there. Uh, no question. It's, it's, it's an incredible amount of money. Um, I know what I pay in a, in a year, you know, in that excise tax and, um, ouch. Yeah. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it adds up, <laughs> right? So you know, it's it's not a tri- not a trivial thing, even nope. though it's and okay, it's points. I mean, how how complicated can it be? How many different <laughs> SKUs have you got for points? Uh, we've probably Hundreds. got about yeah. Uh, I know I've got probably somewhere around 125, 130 SKUs right now, and I've got more in development. Every time a new arrow comes out, you've got to create a point. Usually, for it usually, right? and there's other ones that I need to create a point for that I haven't yet. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be doing. You know more of that, and 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 also branching out. You know, hopefully into some other other products as we keep adding equipment, and I have some time. And yeah, on that equipment. Yeah. So, well, I'll uh, you know it's be careful what you wish for if you want to work <laughs> in the archery business. If you love archery, yeah, working in the archery business may or may not be your best possible choice. <laughs> yeah, well, you know it is what it is, but more more importantly, I just I'm just glad it's gone so well, and people are are, are pleased with what I've been putting out and. You know, we take a lot of pride, unlike, you know, something being done elsewhere where they're just running, they turn on a machine and they just let it run. I mean, we, we literally check every single point that comes off that machine. We put it on a scale and we mic it. We make sure that the tolerances are better than anybody else in the industry. And and other companies that are out there, it's just not happening. You know, they just run them. And uh, as long as they're within a certain tolerance, they're good. Yeah. You know, yeah. But we try to be a little tighter. Well, even at Easton, we don't do a 100% check, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's, most people close. don't. It's, it's, it, it takes, well, it costs money to do that. Yeah. And well, and you're relying, works. you know, if your, if your dimensions are right and your material's consistent, then it's yes. going to probably be pretty much on yep. it. But, yep. but, you know, uh, well, we keep track. You know, tools wear, and as tools wear, sure. even if the material is good, you know, sometimes that can adjust and, and change. So we just need, we just find if we do that, then people are happy and, you know, they the points perform the way they're, um, you know, they're spending thirty nine ninety nine for a dozen points plus shipping, right? And they they get what they what they pay for. Just a not to shift the subject too much, but um, let's talk about your involvement with uh, USA Archery. Sure. You, you know, you've it, been you've been <laughs> an athlete rep. Yes, I was an athlete rep at, on the AAC, and um, which is the Athletes Advisory Council for for USA Archery, and and then um, I was asked to take over um well it, it's her fault it's all erica uh, jones's fault she she was leaving her terms were were up on the board and and the ac and, and she called and recruited me and and uh, asked if i would be interested in running for the board and i did go ahead and run for the board as the compound athlete rep um so i did that and and after a time on the board they the other board members um, nominated me and and put me in the chair position. So I'm actually the chair um, for the USA Archery Board of Directors. Currently. Currently. Yeah. Congratulations, yep. by the way. Maybe. Thanks. Well, <laughs> it's, it's what did I tell you about getting involved in politics and archery? No, it, it's been actually really good. I, I'm, you know, the, it's been a lot of fun seeing where the organization is going it, it everything is going in the right direction i mean we really we've involved shooters in a lot more things denise has been doing so many uh um you know positive things in this organization i don't think people really i don't think understand. people realize it's like yep. an iceberg Correct. how much she actually has to do 
Yeah, there, there's an incredible amount of work on her side, and the board is is very active. Um, yeah, she takes you know, her fair share of crap from people, including she me. She does. She but, does, but and us know, on the board. But goodness knows, to mm-hmm. navigate the the terrain that she's in with the USOC and the demands of the compound shooters. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and the uh, you know when you look at. We just finished our strategic plan for the next four years for the entire organization. Then we went and did the high-performance plan, which in the past was something that was done literally from the organization top-down, and then we just kind of told the athletes what we were doing and how we were going to get them to the next, you know, to the Olympics and what our goals were. Um, this time we actually involved our elite athletes in the high-performance planning process, and that was fantastic. Um, you know, Denise wanted to do it, and I thought it was a great idea, and, and the planning went really, really well. So I think we got a great high-performance plan, and now we just finished today. We just finished the para um, high-performance plan for the next four years. And again, we involved um, the para team here um, that was training at a camp in, in Chula Vista, excuse, Chula Vista, in Salt Lake City. And uh, again, the planning went great. Uh, their input that they gave us was incredibly insightful, and, and I think um, we've got such a better plan in both cases because of that. So, you know, there's so much going on, and I, I really I see, I see changes in the organization all to the better, and it's going to continue to go in that way. Yeah, you told me last night about some of the improvements that were being made and, you know, on the parasite, what you're doing right now, the, that's the Paralympic side, yep. not the parasite. Right. Uh, on the Paralympic side, <laughs> um, you know, you said it was something just as simple as making sure their target assignments are located near restrooms. Correct. And so they aren't trying to get across the field. Accessibility. Yeah, and making sure we have enough restrooms that are accessible. And that right. stuff, you you don't – no one thinks about that <clears throat> when they're planning a tournament, but it's important. Yeah, they, they don't. And, and there's so many of those types of things, and it was it, – they're like duh moments, literally. Um, but, you know, they weren't there. So we, we're, we're going to be, you know, continuing to improve our, our events, our tournaments. Uh, we're going to be putting a task force together actually – to, to literally talk about events and what we can do to improve the events and, and make them more, you know, especially the finals in, in a, a much more, pizzazz, shall we say, pizzazzy, um, you know, type thing. European style, shall we say. Well, world, ar- world archery, mm, yeah. names, you know. Um, I know a little bit about that subject. Yeah. And I can tell you that, you know, the sport presentation, mm-hmm. it's becoming more important at every event because people are starting to, ex- to expect it. Right. Right? Right. Yep. So we're, we will have athletes on those uh, task forces that'll help and telling us what they like to see and including para, you know, of what, the things that they need to make sure that we're paying attention and giving them all the resources because it's an incredibly important part of USA Archery. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you know, you got the Paralympics within weeks of the Olympic Games being completed and just as big of an event in some ways. And um, absolutely, you know, it's a standalone event, but for sure, mm-hmm. those people work just as hard as anybody to get there. Harder. In my opinion. Yeah, I would say so. Sure. Yeah. I'm not going to argue that point at all. I've worked with uh, quite a few Paralympic athletes, and I can tell you uh, every one of them that I've worked with personally has been a lot of fun. A lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. They are they are hilarious, to be honest. Oh, they're so <laughs> terrible to each other. <laughs> they are. Oh, they my are. God, the things <laughs> they, they say to each other. <laughs> they are. They, Brutal. They, they pick on each other, you know, just – it's constant and it's hilarious. They all laugh and they joke about it and 
and it just they're they're a team. Um, they are truly a team, and it was really fun to to work with them. And and um, you know they gave me a great education actually over the last couple of days of about para and and everything. And and I, I it's incredibly valuable. Well, I've done a little bit of volunteer work here and there for world archery and stuff like that, and I can tell you that it's a lot of work. And I know yeah. that you're putting in a lot of effort on this. So let me just say thanks yeah. because thanks. you know you're welcome. No it's, problem. It's hard and. Um, God bless you for, for, for pitching in because it's everybody and their mother likes to sit back and complain, but nobody wants to do the dishes. Right. You know, there's, I appreciate that. And it really comes down to, again, there's a board that is energized, excited, can see where we can take USA archery. Um, we have a CEO that sees that, um, understands still where we need to improve. And you have to understand where we were eight years ago. Um, with USA Archery. It was basically a, a defunct organization with 1,500 members, and now we've got, you know, 20, over 22,000. Is that and, right? Yeah, and we're, and you know, we're financially in a better spot. We, we still need to get a lot more funding and sponsorships and stuff so we can do more things for the athletes. But we're, we're doing things now that we haven't been able to do just because of the way the organization was at that time. But that was really through Denise's tenure. So people don't see all the things that went on to get us and to keep us where we are today. Um, and that doesn't mean we, you know, we're sitting on our laurels because the board is not going to allow that. Denise is not going to allow that. I think one of the and big the changes athletes was aren't putting in a professional board per se. I know yeah, that, you know, uh, you know, I would I would say that's that's accurate. I mean, this is a very professional board. Most of the people on there are, are business folks um, that either run a business or have been involved in one or a high level, and uh, they get it. They they understand uh, versus just you know fellow shooters that that didn't necessarily have a lot of experience and just you know they loved archery and and you know not to say they didn't do great things because quite honestly. The, unfortunately, there's a few people that that left on the board that were were phenomenal. You know, you know, I only had an experience with them for a few meetings, but you know, they helped get us to where we are today. If it wasn't for what they did, um, but I think now we have an even more professional um, board yet that um, is going to push us even further and, and faster. Right. I can't thank you enough for joining us today on the show. Um, oh, I'd like you to stick around. Uh, Steve's going to pick up the mic, but. Uh, uh, stick around because we're going to have some technical questions coming up, and maybe we'll get you to participate in some of that stuff as yeah, we go. Yeah, no on. problem. I'll sit here and make faces. Are you going to Arizona Cup, by the way? Um, I'm. I can't. Um, unfortunately. Oh, because um, you're gonna working. Miss, yeah, I'm going to miss this one. Can't, um, so. can't do archery. You're working in archery. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'll, I'll be missing this one. So I will. Uh, I will be watching the 40 mile per hour gusts and um, in, enjoying the view from home. Rodmans are awesome to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks a lot, George. So, Steve, um, I, I I don't know how to how to bring this up, but I gave you earlier today 100 limited edition Easton pins. Yes. To take to the Arizona Cup. Apparently, there's a misspelling in French. the The word medals. We'll is, just only give them out in the U.S. and no one will know that it. Well, we're giving out 100 pins, and that'll be it because we're going to send the rest back to the vendor. <laughs> I've still got them. We can send them all back. <laughs> I think it's, I think they've got value because it's like that airplane stamp with the airplane upside down. Right. Right. Just don't give any to the Canadians. Yeah, they won't know that. Yeah, people the word here metals. won't know. Look at this. Look at this. Run. This this is a macro shot. It's on our Facebook. I took this picture earlier today. Right. You see Posted it proudly on the Facebook. Page. Oh yeah, yeah. So so some French fellow kindly Alexis. 
kindly points out, oops, metal in French is spelled this way. <laughs> Honestly, I never noticed, you know, and I, I speak and read French reasonably well, but I'd never noticed. I didn't look. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it could be, yeah, no, no, I don't think so. It's not Belgian. It's not going to be Portuguese. It's just spelled wrong. It's, yeah, it's awesome. It's wrong. Which, you know, kind of makes it fun. That's why it's a limited edition pin. Yeah, I'll give out 100. And that'll be it. Yep. So, speaking of, uh, speaking of, uh, of, of bronze colored pins, yeah. congratulations eh, versus thanks. Mexico. Yeah, and um, talk about that tournament a little bit down in Guadalajara, right? Yep. So you shoot uh, shoot a seventy two arrow qualification. This is one of the first outdoor tournaments of the year, basically. It's the first for, one for yeah, me. Yeah. yeah, I had thirty arrows out of. Well, I had almost as many X tens shot out of my bow at the indoor nationals as I did for practice yeah. prior to this event. Yeah, because you went through what five ends at indoor nationals. Yeah, four. To, yeah. yeah. So I shot twenty arrows there, and I shot thirty arrows for practice before leaving. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, at least you knew you had a tuned setup. Yeah, it was all good. I didn't even bother with anything, you know? So I I flew overnight, and I got in at like 5 a.m., got through customs, out to the cars about 6 a.m., um, took about a one-hour power nap, got up, shot qualification, shot a 710. All was good. Um, so after that, you cut to – they cut to 48, I think, or something like that, and then you shoot – round robin so you shoot five matches against everyone in your pod and then they cut it to 24 you do that oh wait 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 cut it to 36 you do that again cut to 24 do it again cut to 12 do it again and it takes the four to the semifinals so i mean it was i the math was something like 372 scored arrows plus 30 in the final so i shot 402 scored arrows so in the uh in the semifinal it was you versus tate morgan yeah and so tate beat you in the semifinal to go on to for the gold there yeah it was um and that was a point difference on that match yeah it was brutal wind yeah we were both honestly we were both happy to keep them all in the red sure and on target uh is tate the one shooting that goofy bow no 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 that's that's Aaron Tedford. Oh, okay, yeah. Aaron Tedford. Yeah, as opposed to Paul. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah, we uh, we had a. It was just horrendous. I mean, it knocked over all of the gigantic steel barriers that you know, like a crowd so, barrier. So serious wind. Yeah. Not yeah. messing around here. Like thirty miles an hour. Like what you're going to have this weekend in Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was horrific. Like instant. 40, by the way. Instant the anticipation forecast. issues. 40 mile an hour winds in Arizona this week. So, yeah. It, as soon as they pulled our final arrows, the targets blew over. So you're – oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, whatever. I mean, I, I was shooting extremely well up until that point. You know, I think until it got – it got windy for our last set of round robins as well. But until then – I was averaging 7.12 the whole way through, like a 9.9 arrow That's average. rocking, man. Yeah. That'll win anything. Generally. So it was it was good shooting and a lot of shooting, which was good. I, had, I came home with like a super stiff neck. I don't know if it was just slept bad or too many arrows for this Holding guy. In the, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. You shot more than 20 arrows. What are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So... <laughs> so uh, Julio Fierro took the uh, second place there, and Tate yeah. Morgan took the gold. You took the bronze, and Paul Tedford was fourth. So 
Yeah, it was fun. Pretty it was a great pretty way solid performance there. Great way to start the outdoor season. I mean, it's really a, yeah, really, huh? It's first class event. I don't know. This how, is uh, Ruben Ochoa and his team putting. Yeah, that Uncle on. Ruben. Uncle Ruben. Yeah, I don't know how he makes any money on it. Probably I, doesn't. I have no like I I'm sitting there doing the the calculations and looking at all the banners he prints and all the people he brings in to help with this event. I unless everyone's just super generous and works for free, then he's taking a hit i don't know how he does it for the compound ladies it looks like the uh, danish uh, contingent is getting an early start on summer yeah um dalia crook of the usa was fourth tanya jensen of denmark who figured prominently in vegas this year uh tanya was third then fernanda zepeda of mexico was second and sarah sonnickson of denmark was number one yep easton sweep on the gold medals um i think on every medal yeah no so, no well gold medals yeah so um because tanya Tanya tanya's the only else, she? yeah tanya was the only one who didn't shoot easton's yeah. at that on the podium at that event yeah so she took a bronze medal there and then uh let's see here for the for the recurves brady was number one with a bullet yeah again. brady shot a 680 in qualification in that and, condition yeah well it was it was pretty good conditions then but come on play it up no just kidding yeah I, well it's like it's first tournament of the year yeah you know, yeah, he, uh, cranks a six eighty right out of the box. Uh, that's you know, and he's he's trying <clears throat> some equipment stuff. He's playing around with. Uh, I heard 90, he's playing ninety grain points. Yeah, he's got ninety grain points in, in a fairly heavy X ten. In a three eighty. In a three eighty X ten, ninety yep. grain point. What's up with that? I don't know, but he thinks it might work with a four ten. Lower FOC. Never heard of that before. Okay. So, yeah, actually, it will work with a four ten. Yeah, it absolutely will. He he made a a pretty funny comment to me. He goes, man. I shot, he's like, I think 410s might be the ticket. I, I shot 45 pounds all through indoor, and it was really nice. You know, he was like, he was like, pull, man. Pull a little more longevity out of those shoulders. Yeah, yeah. he's like, I don't want to go back to 50. This sucks. So, in case, I don't know if we'd ever mentioned that. I don't know if we ever knew that. But, yeah, 45 pounds this whole indoor season. So, the rumor mill, the rumor mill has it, some people are saying Brady might be sniffing around compound again. Do you know anything about that? you hear anything um, like that? I haven't heard anything. No. I mean, I'm sure he's going to continue to shoot some ASA and stuff, but yeah. the guy is he's got his he's got his world in recurve archery. Yeah. And he'd be a great compounder too. Well, problem if he ever is, goes back to it, yeah. Problem is there's a lot of guys trying to step through the door. Yeah. And and only one gets to yeah. at every tournament. Yeah. Recurve, he's he's got his he's got a little more horsepower than everybody out there except maybe a handful of guys. That's an excellent point. Uh, Brady was number one after uh, beating uh, Angel Alvarado in the semifinal. Then he took on Ernesto Boardman yep. for the gold medal final, and Brady crushed it. Um, Ernesto beat Ivan Gonzalez in the semifinal. Mr. Gonzalez ended up third in the match. Yeah, and those guys and were. Angel was fourth. But those guys gave Brady a match, and I, I think the wind kind of leveled the playing field a bit. Sure. If it was dead calm, I didn't foresee Brady even getting pushed at all. Yeah. Um, pretty much solid Mexican turnout for the ladies. And uh, Alexa Rivera taking third, Carla Hinojosa taking second, and the great Olympic silver medalist from London 2012, Ida Roman, taking first place. Yep. So um, that that was the versus MX. That was the tournament. And you've got Arizona Cup next. Yeah, I'm leaving got, tomorrow. You've got a challenge because it is going to be kind of crappy weather. Yep, just you got to deal with it. 
it's uh it's a tough thing first tournament of the year yeah i mean not only is it a usat qualifier it's first part of our world championship team trials yeah so i mean it's it's not and and yeah Yeah, world games do you mind addressing that for a second rod with with steve here talk about the world games qualifying process because i know you can't get into some of the details i know there's some stuff behind the scenes but talk about that a little bit yeah sure no we um for the compound for the world games um it's going to be basically the same trials as the um the world uh, championships so um it's going the first first leg is the arizona cup and then it's it's finalized at gator cup and that's for compound on the recurve side um they will use our uh, our field nationals and that'll be the trials uh, there was a little bit of um, you know we were in a little flux of, of maybe having to adjust or change some things on trials but fortunately um, again what people don't understand Denise through contacts that she has um, at the USOC was able to get some things done um, and and get us an extension for submitting our names and well specifically and, what happened was um, the rules kind of got changed on you guys and you had to have names well in advance of when May you were going to have the team selected yeah May 31st and, and so I guess Denise worked with Dragomir over at USOC yeah international it's good um, to have powerful people in, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah you know we we had gone to world archery and unfortunately uh, were denied at world archery for an extension and and we we went back to and appealed again and and asked if you know they could get with the world games organizers and ask them and and um that wasn't really happening and and so she asked you know for some help uh, you know at the USOC and um, to write people and, and um, we got an answer pretty quick and, and fortunately for us and, and I'm really appreciative that the World Games um, folks have said hey no, no problem we will you know we'll help so, you out. So basically we sent Luca Brazzi to give them an offer they don't refuse and all <laughs> well, worked out. Well I don't know I mean, one way or the other we got an answer and um, again I'm, I'm really grateful for that because Without that, it was going to really change the dynamics, and, and we were going to potentially have to do some things that, um, you know, creating a new tournament, a new trials, and doing some things that that we didn't want to do since we had already posted what those trials were, and people had made plans, and and now we don't have to do that. So we're uh, we're we're very grateful. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting to have both the trials at the same. Or, you know, both World Games and World Championship trials are the same one. Uh, the last World Games was a standalone trial, and it was in Texas. And, you know, it was a one-day deal, and boom, you're gone. And I don't think people quite understood how big the World Games was for that one. Now they're saying, you know, maybe let's make this a more significant trial process. Well, let me so. ask you a question, Steve, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm going to anyway. Um, you earned our World Games slot. And I think Dave earned us a World Games slot, and and uh, no, no, because it's on tar. It's target. It's fifty meter target now. Oh, gotcha. Never mind. Yeah. All right. Sorry. So the recurves, the recurves earned slots for World Games, like like I did at the World Championships back in '04. I earned our slot for the U.S. for the World Games in '05. So let me ask you this, Steve. You know, because you deal with both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Do you think the recurves ought to have to go through a trials, or do you think that because they had to pay their own way to the world championship, that they should be handed the slot they earned um, for the world games. I can see both arguments. You know, if, I think if if we had said, "Hey, you guys, whoever," if we'd said prior to 
World Championships. Whoever earns this, if they if you earn a spot here, it's yours at the World Games as well. As long as it's beforehand. Yeah, yeah. if we had known before that would be there'd be no problems with that and, but, and that's the rationale for doing it the way it's being done I, I presume yes um you know they wanted to basically have a, a, a separate trials process just because it's a it's a year later and they felt we could put a better team together because the world games is become a much bigger deal and i mean it really started uh, taiwan set the you know kevin wilkie won the gold there and, and taiwan set the precedence of an incredible um World Games. I mean, the amount of people that were there, and and just the the whole. I mean, the city, the country was all World Games banners. I mean, it's it's a big deal. It's every four years. This is basically, this is the Olympics for non-Olympic sports. What I mean by that is, there, field archery and it's fifty meters. That's not in the Olympics. Um, what's in the Olympics is recurve seventy meters. You know, this is not so. This is our Olympics, for lack of a better term, and for a lot of other sports, too, that are not there. Um, so it is a big deal, and we wanted to make sure we put our best team out there. So, you know, they had decided to do the trials processes instead of just giving the, the spots to where they were earned. Um, it's no different than we earn spots for the Olympic teams um, at various events to qualify of how many people we can actually have at the Olympic Games. Um, the people that earn those spots don't necessarily become our Olympians. So it's the same concept of, of literally there's still a trials process, but we have to earn those spots. And mm-hmm. fortunately for us, we, we earn spots, and uh, we're going to have a really good team. And I think it'll be a great time. And, um, you know, I <clears throat> encourage everybody to do their best at the first leg here. But even if you don't shoot the greatest at Arizona Cup, really the the points and everything on the trials – that's at the Gator Cup. That is going to run, and you know that that is going to really determine the team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no matter where you place here, you're still in the game. Yeah, because it's just a eight through a half or something like that, and then yeah. Gator Cup is same for qualification, and then round robins, I right. believe. So, right. yeah, it's uh, oh, it's it's interesting. You know, we talk about the World Games, and I think if you asked me, I would say I'd rather if you could say you could win the World Games or the World Championships this year. No question, I'd take the World Championships. The World Games, they still, it's a really cool event because mm-hmm. you go and you're decked out in literally the Olympic gear. Yes. Um, you go through opening ceremonies and it's a huge, huge thing. At least it was for you and I yep. in the two separate times we went. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see what Poland is like. I, I watched mine on TV because we had to shoot at six o'clock. We had to be at the field at six o'clock in the morning. Oh, nice. And, and I've been to opening ceremonies at the Olympic Games and you don't get back to your room till. Five yeah. in the morning, so there's no freaking way yeah. I was gonna. None yeah. of us went. I was rooming with Joe McGlynn, and we sat there, watched it on TV. We didn't get to see Nina doing 99 lift balloons in person. Dang it! Dang it! Yeah, we uh, we made it back about 2 a.m. I think from when we were in Colombia. <laughs> yeah. But I'm interested to see if, if Poland can throw the party Colombia did. But you know, going back to it, the competition itself is still. It's pretty small. Like there's there's only twenty four or thirty six. Right. There's only the a field certain, is tiny. It's a limited limited amount yeah. of spots that are available in the World Games. Yeah. To me, it's. Uh, but it's usually the elite. It it yeah. literally it's a top sixteen slots um, for you know compound the top sixteen at the World Championships. That is what qualifies for the World Games. So it is the best 
generally that are still there. Yeah, um, it, it's it's a tough field, even it's though just it's less not of a, a gauntlet. L- correct. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because it, it feels these days like the only time you get a, a gimme match is maybe in the first round. <laughs> yeah. When you show yeah. up at, I mean, when when we go to China and forty plus guys shoot seven hundred. Right. There are no gimme matches. You know, mm-hmm. if you're you go and shoot 703 and you're like 32nd you're like this sucks you know and the number one guy's like that guy shot 703 this really sucks i have to shoot against him in the second round right so it's a interesting interesting thing the the size of field how that makes a big difference to me so Mm -hmm. yeah you're you're right it's less upsets and everything else but but here you know literally there is no gimme match in the first round you're gonna shoot against a tough uh a tough folk yeah. You know, <clears throat> how politically correct I can be, but I'll point out that if the Olympic Games were cut to the top 16, there'd be a whole lot less people that we'd see from a lot of countries that otherwise would never see them. Yeah. So this World Games is a little bit like that. It's yeah. It's already sliced down. You've, you've you pulled the cream off the top. Right. And Right. You know, that's just the, the resources reality of it. Are not the, same the resources aren't the same. It's yeah. true. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's it's absolutely worth going to the World Games if you have a shot at making that team because, like Steve said, it is like going. It, it's the closest thing that a non-Olympic sport's ever going to get to the Olympics in the next, yeah. you know, twenty years, and and that may include compound. You know, I mean, right. we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the the biggest change we're looking forward to is the maybe good prospect for a mixed team event in Tokyo. Absolutely, um, that's it's always a possibility, and I I think um, you know. The World Games is the reason they made it 50 is is definitely to to work towards that, and I'm I'm hoping we're going to see those types of things. And you know, I look at it this way: anytime you get a chance to shoot for the United States, have USA on your back, and compete in a World Championship or World Games, uh, Pan American Games, Olympic Games, I, you know, as an American, I'm sorry, say me, I'm a little extra patriotic, but. There is nothing like that. And if you get a chance to be on the podium, and especially if you win and you stand up there and they played a national anthem with a gold medal around your neck and USA on your back, there is nothing better. Nothing better. So, yeah, I encourage people to, to definitely, if you haven't tried USA Archery events, come try them. These are worthwhile. When you do that, um, you know, Rio, I've talked to him about this in the past. And, you know, he's he could go and shoot other things, and, and there's just, you know, Right now, more contingency there, but that's changing. I mean, I've, I saw where Elite is is putting, you know, fourteen grand or something on World Games, you know. Now, so I mean, they're they're putting some money behind it too, and um, but he could have done more with that. But he truly, honestly enjoys shooting for the United States, and and that is one of the reasons, the driving factor of why he shoots so many USA Archery events. But but you know, there's going to be more money in USA Archery events. We're gonna we're we're working on that, and you're gonna see it. And, um, you know, if you haven't done them, they're a challenge, come and do them. There's no gimmies. And, you know, you talk, we, t- we talk so much about all the different uh, events out there. And, you know, the K50, for example, at the ASA is, I mean, man, it's it's a phenomenal field of shooters. Um, but, you know, at the Arizona Cup, they'll probably have more in the uh, championship class there than they will shooting in the K50 or the um, – you know, in the regular pro class, you know, combined probably they'll have more. So, I mean, the competition is there. So come, try it, um, enjoy it, um, win, and put USA on your back. Definitely is cool. You know, it, it 
I can't tell you how much pride I had marching behind our flag into the opening ceremony at the World Championship. You know, it was mm-hmm. just, uh, it's goofy, I know, I get it, but I just had this big grin on my face and I, I was really happy to be there. You know, I was very proud. And I think every one of us has had that, that's been on a team that, you know, has had that incredibly good fortune. It's a life-changing experience, by mm-hmm. the way, because you get to meet people, Steve. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's a life-changing experience. If it yeah. weren't for if it weren't for you competing internationally, yeah. you know, you might not have met Linda. It, uh, yeah, there's no doubt <clears throat> there was a lot, a lot at play in me making the World Games team, you know, like – for those who don't know it was it was like a next to impossible feat and i ended up winning every like seven matches and against the who's who of archery to make the team so um yeah it worked out met my wife and 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 drove your career to where it is yep and hopefully continuing to yeah i mean it was the first time i competed for the u.s was at the world games which i guess i was kind of oblivious to what that meant at the time you know I, i work for easton because of the olympic festival I know that's a, a real short way to, to explain it, but uh, you know, you and I both, Rob, uh, Rod, have shot the Olympic Festival in uh, various places. That was a USOC event that was almost the same scale as the World Games, mm-hmm. and um, you know, you got a uniform and you you get sent to a, a city. In this case, it was my first one was Los Angeles. I met Jim Easton, and there was a there was an LA Times article about how archers help each other because. I'd help Jay Bars with a technical problem, you know, and and next thing I know, I've got a job offer. So what are you going to do with that? Change your life? Yeah, you know, pretty cool. Yeah, what would you be doing if not uh, if, if that hadn't happened? Goodness knows, podcasts. <laughs> yeah, if it yeah. yeah. If if I wasn't trying to make a world team and, and shoot for the United States, I would not have the business I have today in the competition archery products. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's crazy. And it is crazy how it's affected our lives, and in a positive way, I think, generally. I, I think in balance, right? We joke about the fact that, yeah, we're working in archery, and therefore we can't have fun with archery. But the reality is, I'm not sure any of us would trade what we're doing now for anything else. Yep. Yeah. Steve's not saying Hedge fund manager. All right. Uh, Actually, we did talk about professional this. Professional inheritor. Yeah. We talked earlier today, <laughs> if Steve had gone to Yale and played at, you know, Yale basketball and- President. Okay. No. Well- I wouldn't want that one. No, who wants that job? Professional inheritance supervisor. Okay. All right. <laughs> Chief master inheritance uh, executive. All right. We talked about the pin, our debacle with our pin, right? Yeah, I mentioned yeah, that Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. So. You know, one thing we didn't talk about. Uh-huh. I woke up this morning, and for some reason, I my, my phone was updating something, and I it, it opened up the podcast, you know? Oh, and um, I don't download our own podcast. I went to see what our rating was. And according to this, we only have five, uh, 15 ratings. On iTunes. On iTunes. And I thought it would have been great, you know, if we had more ratings. But I read, I read this one. And I've saved it. And I'll read some excerpts from this, this podcast this review. Is this a reasonably new review? Yes. Oh, so I haven't seen it. First first uh, excerpt. Since the great conqueror and original podcaster Genghis Khan died in 1227, the archery world has wandered in the wilderness, aimlessly looking for a new champion to unite it again. Oh, no. Um, another excerpt. 
Everything is made for a purpose. The Easton Archery Podcast is what iTunes was made for. <laughs> uh, and oh, the, the final excerpt that I will read. Right now, George is teaching children the sport, instilling a love of archery into a new generation, and creating content to share with us. Steve is somewhere trying to decide how little he can practice before arriving at his next shoot and crushing all competitors. They never stop thinking of how to help you and I improve and to beat the Koreans. <laughs> Steve, I don't think they really understand. I mean, since you shot at Versus on Sunday, right? It was the last day? Sunday? Yeah, Sunday. I mean, last night I personally witnessed – Firsthand, he it's shot true. about forty arrows. It's so true. he I did. he is practiced and ready to go for this event. So I shot three it, today. Wow, he shot three today. So <laughs> you know, forty three arrows in this past week, getting ready for a shoot. <laughs> the guy is. I mean, he is practiced. Yeah, don't out. Let, don't, don't let the you know, mystique fool you. Yeah, I mean, most people only have to shoot twenty five arrows, but you know, Steve had to do forty three. We were we were ready. shooting last night, and at my third end, I shot. The shot was feeling great. Everything felt great. I was like, "Well, if you weren't here, I'd probably leave right now." <laughs> Say this is a, this is good enough. But, oh goodness! Yeah. So it it would be great if uh, we could get some more reviews for the show. Well, I mean, I, somebody. How many people have told you they love the podcast, George? I, billions, billions. So I mean, it, it's very like nice to see how maybe people come up to us. Reviews. I, I'm going to say this: it is super gratifying for people who I don't know. Yes. Who come up to us in tournaments and billions of these people. How, uh, we had dozens of people in Vegas billions. come up and talk about, well, okay, whatever. <laughs> <clears throat> we did have a lot of folks, and I will say that that's very humbling, really. Yeah, truthfully. You know, really nice. I, and, uh, I, I'm actually, every time somebody says, hey, I love the podcast, I'm so surprised to meet someone who listens to us. Because we're just because sitting here what do we do? talking. Yes. We just, about archery. Yeah. I. I have never once listened to one of our episodes. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, I guess I have for yeah. what do we call it, quality control reasons? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Well, Jay doesn't listen to the whole thing, right? I just tell right. him if we have to pause the, rec- which we never do hardly, but if we had to pause the recording, which we have not done once so far today, nope. Um, I have to tell Jay, hey, it, the file is the file's in two segments, and you need to blend them, right? Right. Or sometimes we'll like say we drop a re- mic. No, we'll record Bruce Cole. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, we'll, we'll cut him into the middle of the podcast yeah, yeah, somewhere. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. And people can tell. I mean, it's not yeah. seamless. But, you know, like today, I don't know what your plan was today with Rod, but I just busted in the door. I'll tell you what the plan originally was. I didn't was. know if you were planning on cutting him in. The plan originally was to cut him in, and then I thought, you know what? We've done 45 podcasts with you and I doing our standard introduction. Let's change it up. Let's do it. So, so Mr. Menzer and I, we did our own kind of intro, and I think I came up with a nickname for you. Yeah, you did. Yeah, it was. I don't remember. It was what Rocket it was. Rod Menzer or something <laughs> like that. Nice. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I figure because when I was announcing for World Archery, I never had the privilege of announcing one of your matches. I, well, no, I did. I you did your World you Championship did. match Absolutely. in Wales. Yes, my my gold medal match in in Wales. Uh, you were the guy. Yeah, um, but did I come up with a nickname for you? Ah, <laughs> uh, you did, and I I I don't remember. I that, just don't remember. That reminds me. Yesterday, <laughs> I cracked one at George. I said, well, we could always talk in the podcast and say, well, two of the three of us are world champions. We won't <laughs> We won't mention who's not. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been to a world championship. 
You know, I got a I got a beef with you guys though. I really do because, you know, <clears throat> last time I was here, well, a few months ago, right? Um, and then, fortunately, you know, I'm back again, and you guys were gracious to have me come up again. And the world record targets are still sitting there outside of your office. They haven't hung them up and, yet. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah, that, they're framed. That's, yeah, that's that's you know, my and Rio and Dave's targets. You want to take literally, it home? Do you want to take it home? You can take it home. <laughs> From 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 that world record, um, those 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 are incredibly valuable. We could probably hold a huge auction and raise money, and you know, for just those targets alone. Uh huh. So sure. Okay. And that arrow was in. That arrow was in. Uh huh. Okay. I'm looking at the customer reviews. Customer reviews. It says, by the way, customer ratings um on itunes which by the way please do rate the show because it helps other people find the show yes and you can reach us on social media we're into that whole social media thing steve's a millennial and everything (laughs) (laughs) i'm just a generation x guy generation x huh yeah I, i recently discovered i'm actually not a baby boomer okay yeah I was born outside that that range, so I'm a Generation X guy. <laughs> I, there's a clothing store <laughs> called, called Gen X Clothing. Yeah, but it's not good. It doesn't seem like you'd be the type of person who would shop there. No, you're probably right. It's like, uh, it's just knockoffs, you know, it's knockoff clothing. I don't wear knockoff clothing. Yeah, it, it uh, it's interesting. All right. Before we lose our momentum, which might be too late, uh, um, we've got a couple of listener questions that uh, just snuck onto our Facebook feed um, because I just had a moment before we started the show, and I, this was pretty short notice, so not a ton of questions. But Jeff Jenkins is talking about the new Easton FMJ match arrows. He wants to know, would we recommend them for use in shooting longish distances with a compound, say a 900 round? Uh, these new arrows intrigue me. Yes, is the Yeah, answer. they work for... Yeah, 900 round, you're not too long of distance where the weight of that arrow could be a hindrance. You know, it's not like you're bombing 101 yards at Reading with it. Um, you're six, depending on what type of 900 round, you're, you're either 60 meters or 60 yards. 60, so that's, 40 yards. yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a great shaft for that, actually. I, I would agree with that. That's, a, it excites me. I, you know, the 50 meter game, the 900 rounds, all that. And, and to be honest, even Reading, I mean, FMJ is such a great shaft. You know they've been so forgiving and they, they just pound and and now having one that's really made for for target, uh, it's exciting. Yeah, if you can get a hundred yards with it, by all means, it's a great reading shaft. Yeah, but I, I think you know for for mm-hmm. for, for the sixty fifty forty round or for the fifty meter world archery round, I mean that's what it's for, honestly. Right. Yeah. You know it's for that, particularly if you're shooting into. You know, I, I 16th century. Well, it's my old joke. You know, it's like we make 21st century arrows. I hate seeing them shot in the 14th century target butts. But that's what most of Europe is, as, as the three of us in this room know. Stramit is, I, I think that's a German dirty word for something. But anyway, um, yeah, it seems to me that um, that's it's a tailor-made arrow for those tough target materials. Yeah, work well in those. You know, so that's... Uh, that's the uh, question from from Jeff Jenkins. Um, what do you got after Arizona Cup? You got Shanghai is a pretty quick turnaround, isn't it? Uh, no, actually, we have a couple weeks, and then we go to Yankton for oh. 
the uh, Dakota Classic, and then immediately to Reading, and then I've got a week break, and then Shanghai. Oh, did I tell you I got to go to Japan with Mike Looper and Doug Denton? You did tell me. That was an interesting experience. Yeah. Traveling with Mike Looper is an interesting experience because he's a super high-energy guy. And Doug is, you know, Doug is awesome. He's just a mellow guy to hang out with. And, and Doug gets along with everybody, and so does Mike, right? So, actually, we had a pretty good time. Um, they just stayed for a couple of days. We went to the high school championship of the Senbatsu in, um, in uh, Kakagawa, central Japan. And then um, they went on their merry way and met with some customers while I, I did a seminar for 60 kids in Hamamatsu at the Yamaha Corporate Range. I saw the photo. Pretty cool. Pretty yeah. cool. We had like eight coaches there and a bunch of kids. And just awesome to work with. The thing that struck Mike and Doug most, I've shown you video of this, when Japanese kids shoot, they run to the target to score. And they run back. There is no time wasted. It is, Mike's like, do they all do that? I was like, you just watch. And they sure do. You know? No, but no, but I'll I'll tell you, it is. They are hardworking, and um, they, you know, it's just such a pleasure to work with them because they put the effort in, and and it's just tremendous to have the opportunity to be able to spend time with, uh, you know, the kids that may some of whom may be in Tokyo in three and a half years. Mm -hmm. So uh, a couple of them in particular. I mean, my goodness, they're they're junior members of the national team. And they're they look like they'd be ready to take on any Korean shooter tomorrow, just you know, really good. So incredible, yeah. So good stuff there, and um, I think unless you've got anything else, we have approached. I yeah, you know, I didn't really even bring anything. here. The landing gear is coming down. I I didn't bring anything to talk about. It just happened. Uh huh. So unless someone else has something, well, else. we could close the show the same way. To oh, here's. Here, I want to go back to your practice schedule because because uh, earlier what, what practice schedule? It, oh, you know, I, I almost saw him sweating today because those three arrows um, and, and I think it was the camera lights actually they were making him hot but anyways um, he was saying that you know once this podcast is done he's he's gonna walk over to Hoyt and he's setting up he's got his other Another bow and bow? stuff yeah and and he's probably gonna shoot that in, yeah in uh in Arizona, so um, I might have to get a massage done after this. Yeah, yes. how many, how many arrows did you practice before you went to? Uh, did you say again before you went to, to versus? To versus. Well, if you count indoor nationals, there was twenty nope. there, and about forty. Well, how, well let me put thirty this or way. forty. What did you do to your bow immediately before leaving for indoor nationals? Um, I heard something from Brian Gold oh, that yeah, maybe tells yeah. me that most people would be like, "What? He did what?" You know, he kind of just redid everything and slapped her together and shot it and said, yeah. yep, I'm good, and off he went. Well, there was a whole thing where I shot most of the season with mismatched modules by mistake. <laughs> so I fixed that problem. Yeah, and it didn't do you well. I mean, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, you know, no, no, I, it was I fixed second before, place in the world. Before USA Indoor. You know. So, yeah, I shot, I shot with the proper <laughs> modules at USA Indoor and NFA Indoor, and then, yeah, all was – all is good. All's yeah, good. it's fine. They all if you just hold it in the middle, <laughs> side it in really good. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Yeah. 
Yeah. You, by the way, we're borrowing Nate's office, and I have no idea what button to push on his phone to make it stop doing that. So. Just answer it. Well, I don't want to answer it. All right. Um, hey, we are remiss in not having answered some questions on our podcast email, podcast at eastontp.com. So we're going to take a moment to do some of those. Oh, okay. We were nearly at the end of the show. We almost. Landing gear was down. Flaps People were extended. People were pretty excited. Landing gear was down. Flaps were extended. We had cut back power. We were just about to touch down. No, bolter, bolter. Off we go. Back into the air. And I'm going to cut you off because a, a question just came into the Facebook. Oh, says, go ahead. You Steve, do that how first. often do you change axles or bearings, if at all? And for that matter, how often do you change out Knox? Uh, Knox probably monthly and so about 10 shots per knock <laughs> yeah I, I mean i'll give him a couple competitions you know let's put it that way the knocks i shot at versus were from last year so they're fine uh-huh um that was a joke folks you yeah. could probably get a couple hundred shots per knock out of a high poundage compound without a big problem but. yeah and uh axles and bearings really never unless i leave your bow yeah, in the car unless the bearings yeah if, if you ruin the bearings doing that that's the only time i would do so but okay good question thank you um this one comes into the podcast email from fraser young hi guys some advice wanted for max trim allowance for the x10 pro tour he's shooting a prevail 40 svx 60 pounds um uh, <clears throat> 28.625 inch draw length 28 and 5 eighths yeah but yeah but you know 28.625 He's calling it out. He's on the to money. The third decimal place. I like it. Uh huh. So I guess we need to be precise answering this. And both the Eastern Chart and Archer's advantage is showing a 420 Pro Tour is optimal, but at max trim, the 420 is at 27.25, which shows as weak on the software. And also when, and I have no idea what he's saying here, Dudley H I L tuning. What the heck is Dudley H I L? Dudley H I L. That is, uh, it's. I know who Dudley is. I can't remember what the HIL is. It might be something to do with point like, weight or something. Oh, all right. I don't well, remember. I don't know either. Anyway, the question is, can he cut to 26.75 safely, and what are the downsides of doing this? Uh, the answer is yes, because I've put a half-inch fudge factor into the cut chart. It, yeah, he'd be fine. So, you're good. All right? Hopefully that helps. Also, alternatively, Steve, thoughts on shooting a 380 at 27 inches? Overly stiff, but AA shows 275 feet per second. I have a spare set. Any help? I'm shooting 50-meter fetas and 1440s as well. I can't imagine an arrow that stiff is going to be grouping really well at, at long distance. Crowbar. Yeah. That's a 27-inch 380 is pretty stout. You, you'd need, need all of 30-inch draw to make it work right, I would assume. I don't know. That's – Yeah. Mark Baker, gents, firstly, thank you for a great podcast. It's really a pleasure to listen to, showing that he does not have good taste. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> kidding. Uh, Mark says he bought a set of ACEs for my recurve two years ago, 29 and a half inch length, 40 pounds on the fingers, putting him in the T7 category on the chart, 570 spine. Uh, these always shot stiff, however, with the bear shaft about six inches left of the fledge group at 30 meters, to which I say so, because my bear shafts are six inches left. And I have a reasonably good tune. But anyway, he's since changed his limbs to yucca. Same draw and poundage, and they seem to like a softer spine. I have a set of AC Navigators 610 T6 group, which I've been shooting indoors, and these tune in nicely. 
My question is, can I take the spine rating from the navigators and apply it directly to either an ACE or X10, i.e. 600 or 620 respectively? Uh, the answer to that is no, because the parallel shaft will always shoot stiffer at the same spine reading. So, <clears throat> for example, a 500 parallel shaft, you need a, let's say, 450-ish barreled shaft to perform similarly. And the chart reflects that, right? It does indeed. Yep. Yes, it does. Yeah, it's interesting. Second, one of the practical differences for recurve shooting between ACE and X10 shafts, on paper they seem virtually identical apart from the weight of the X10. Well, the weight of the X10 makes a big difference. Yeah, and the diameter. And the diameter is yeah. considerably smaller. So uh, Matt, it, Mark rather is in Hull, UK, and you'll also find, Mark, that when you're shooting on things like Edgertons, your X10s will hold up about two to one. Yeah. So. Yeah. About maybe a quarter of the drift that compared to the the ace. Yeah, you know that. Ace Some people a, find that hard to accept though because yep. of the cost difference, but Absolutely. it's real. Hey, the ace is a great shaft. Um, I know people that use them and have used them extremely well um, to kick my butt. So, um, you know, it, it's a great shaft, but the X10 is the greatest shaft, shall I say? I really like this question that we just got from uh, Tyler Block. Uh, Stephen George, hello, I'm fairly new to archery. It's something I've wanted to do since I was a little kid, but I didn't get started till now at 26. And I've had some decent success at bow hunting and hope to get into target archery within the next year or two. I'm self-taught, however. I have a couple questions which I was hoping you could answer for me, and that's why I like this question, because to a degree, both Steve and I were self-taught up to a point. Steve still to this degree, and, and also for Mr. Menzer here. So, uh, George and Steve, what pitfalls or mistakes do self-taught archers tend to fall into that I should be aware of and avoid? Hmm. I'll, st I'll start while he's thinking. Um, constantly changing. That's probably yeah. the biggest thing, is is you're always looking for that thing that's going to be the the ticket that's you, going to get you over the hump. Usually a release. Yeah, it's, yeah. Re oh, it's release, <laughs> it's arrows, it's bows, it's rests, it's stabilization, especially stabilization. You know, it can be sights. It's all the different types of things, but releases a lot. Um, there is no magic bullet. It comes down to, you know, when I was self-taught, I, I literally emulated shooters that I admired. I thought their form looked great, and I just tried to duplicate it. And... And really, that's how I, I taught myself when I was when I was a kid, and um, it works well. You take take some videos, have someone take a video, kind of look at it, and um, you know compare it to to others that you see that that you admire, and and uh, you know try and understand what those differences might be. And when you run into them, ask them; they're always willing to to share and and to help you out. Um, but that's probably one of the biggest pitfalls that I always see is people constantly changing as yeah. they're learning. Yeah, and, and you. That's not going to do it for you. Wholesale changes. Yeah, you can't. You can't one week think that you know a thumb button is is the ticket for you. The next week think it's a hinge. You kind of got to get on one train and ride it. And you'll get to a point where then you can start making more significant changes. And you've you've built your foundation. You can work with that. But while you're while you're trying to do that, you know stabilizers is a huge one because guys will. I see it all the time. Guys make a couple bad shots in a tournament, and they're pulling three ounces off or putting more on. It's like, man, I am so slow to make a change to my stabilization. I, I added one ounce this year to the front bar, and that was only after – it was after shooting, you know, all the events leading up to Vegas, and I felt like I was getting a little too strong and pushing shots high. I so agree. So I put, put one ounce on the front bar. Right, and, and the other thing I, I would say is – 
when you're looking at people that are, you know, there there are people out there shooting incredible amount of weight out front, for example, um, you know, 20 ounces out in the front of their rod on a, on a long rod. I can't personally get past four and a half ounces. I, my style doesn't work that way. Um, I can't do that. So just because, you know, form-wise, the basics of form, elbow position, draw, and, you know, a lot of execution of the shot, those things, you know, to me are real easy to kind of look at and watch and try and duplicate. When it comes to stabilization, there's such a huge personal piece to it. And I think so many um, people today are literally looking at some of the top shooters and seeing what they're doing, and then they just try and match it, thinking that that's going to take them <laughs> over the top. And that is a problem too, because then they just struggle, and they're just it, it just kind of leads to a, a snowball. So, mm-hmm. so don't if you can't if you don't have a ton of weight on your bow, but everything else is going well, and you're still holding good, fine, keep shooting it that way. Mm-hmm. If you can handle more and it holds better, and you can shoot it properly, great, do that. You know, it's it's a customized thing. That's why they make individual weights, right? That's why they yeah. make different lengths and and all that. So yeah, and find what it is, and then work with familiarization because you know if you could think of any anything you do you know if you're playing a stupid game on your cell phone usually the more you play it the better you get you know if you're playing super mario brothers you can play it you're better the more you play it and the game didn't change right you still push the same buttons so archery is the same way and and kids should really understand where i'm coming with this the young the young millennial types maybe you gen xers won't know because atari was different but speaking uh, of speaking of mario brothers i was in tokyo and i was in shinjuku and suddenly zooming past me on the street are actual mario carts yes with guys dressed as the characters it was a promotional thing for i guess sega and these were little go-karts nintendo nintendo work with me you really offended everyone and Japan right there by associating Super Oh, Mario I've offended people in Japan Sega. before, trust me. Anyway, um, <laughs> just, just my presence is offensive. But um, no, it's, it's, uh, it, was, it was a big thing. It was an advertising thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were just zooming around. The new Nintendo Switch. There you go. Yeah, so it's, but you know, my. By the way, I'm sitting here listening to you two and thinking this is archery gold. Seriously. Well, but what, I, what I'm getting at is if you want to know how to do something really well, archery is not dynamic. It's the same freaking thing, time and time and time again. Yeah, it's like field archery, somewhat dynamic, but really, you don't go. All right, on this one, I'm gonna the the X rings on the right side of the yellow. No, it's still in the middle. You aim in the middle and you shoot the freaking arrow. It's the cornball opening to most of my seminars, right? With the first slide that goes up and it says, "How to win any archery tournament in two easy steps." Up comes the next slide. Shoot a ten. Up comes the next slide. Repeat. <laughs> you know, I mean, I like it. This is not a difficult game. Yeah, this is not a difficult game. The second part of uh, Tyler's question. Steve, I have found a back tension release attached to a wrist strap for hunting that I'm excited about. Back tension hinge releases shoot more consistently with less chance of punching, but bow hunters typically use a wrist strap trigger release because it's convenient to have a release right on your wrist. But a back tension release on a wrist strap clears this up. Is this a no-brainer switch, or is there something I'm not considering? Uh, for, For hunting or bow hunting or... I'm going to presume for target because he yeah. says it's for hunting, but yeah. but he says he wants to get into target, so I'm going to presume he's yeah. wanting to apply that principle to target. Yeah, if it's for target, I mean, if you, yeah, if you want a wrist strap, if you want something hanging there, that's fine. I personally don't. Um, but you, I don't need it. Yeah. Uh, for hunting, 
Sure, yeah, it'll work. It'll work fine. Plenty of guys hunt with a hinge. I personally, I just punch it when I'm hunting. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I get a little excited. I guess. But I but. think what Tyler's driving at is that it's convenient to have that, uh, you know, back tension release with the wrist strap. I yeah, I, yeah. I could see that working. Yeah, I I hunt with a wrist strap because I don't want to. You've heard everyone's heard the story of a guy up hunting. Here comes a big, you know, animal of choice. And he reaches down for his thumb trigger, and it's not there. It's not in his pocket. So wrist strap is the only way to go, in my opinion, okay. in the field. Um, well, see, I just click my my uh, thumb button onto the string, on the loop. It's hanging there with the bow. So when I reach up, it's all. See, I hunt on top of that mountain over there. <laughs> yeah, but that's different. I'm just talking about tree stand yeah. hunting. It would clink around too much if I yeah. walked up the hill. Yeah. I, there's, there's no doubt. I mean – as long as you're not walking around, clicking it and playing with it and making all kinds of noise that you don't realize, uh, I think having it on your wrist is great, especially on a spot and stock Western style. But uh, if you're up in a tree stand, I don't think it matters as much. But I can see, even in a tree stand, if you're shooting a hinge, I can because you can't hook that to the loop. So I can see where having it on a wrist strap, right? You know exactly where it is, yep. And you're not digging around a pocket looking for it. And yeah, wrist and, strap's uh, the way to go for hunting. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Ryan, uh, oh, before I go to Ryan Boyle's question, Simon had, uh, or sorry, it was, uh, it was Tyler, had one last important question, third part of his question. George and Steve, what's your favorite form of potato? Chips, fries, mashed, baked, other. Uh, Come why, on, you're from Idaho. Does he ask this because I'm from Idaho? I don't think so. Well, chances are everyone listening to this podcast has at some point in their life eaten a potato that my father mike anderson was part of the growth of there you go so yeah there you go people all right but uh, you don't have a favorite i no i kind of like it depends on context if i'm at ruth's chris i like i like mashed potatoes yeah and if i'm if i'm if i'm just hanging out with friends and watching a football game i won't mind some some chips and fried potatoes are almost always good if they're hot mm-hmm. so it's, yeah. it's hard to say an answer. What do you tater think? tots of all kinds? Oh yeah, tater tots. There's tater tots, but the you know I, I will say if, if there's one the form of potato over here, if there's one form of <laughs> potato I might pass on. It might be hash brown potatoes. I think that might be my favorite actually. Yeah, yeah. breakfast potatoes, okay. hash browns. Yes. Okay. I'm gonna go with that. Yeah. Well, coming from Idaho, I'd say you're the authority on this subject. Well, we do have the World Potato Museum in Idaho. Simon Burke. By the way, um, is is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the guy in the commercials is actually a family friend of ours. So, so were, you, were the people in Idaho cheering during the screening of The Martian? Um, probably. Yeah, they probably were fascinated. You know, right? Yeah. Uh, because for yes, those of you who haven't potatoes. seen The Martian, I won't spoil it. But basically, it's a guy who's stranded on Mars, and he has a dozen potatoes that were vacuum packed for a certain purpose, and that's how he saves himself for the most part is by having grown. Potatoes, and I'll leave it to your imagination as to just how he fertilizes those. All right. <laughs> um, Simon Burke, I am thinking of setting up some FMJ matches for my outdoor target setup. 600 and 900 rounds mostly. I shoot an elite tour, 30-inch draw, 55 pounds. What do you recommend as a starting setup for arrow length, spine, point weight, and vein, and pin knock or G knock? 30-inch draw, 55 a, pounds, outdoor. Out of an elite, probably uh 380-ish, 400-ish. Let's give him three choices. Oh, three FMJ matches is what he's talking about. FMJ match, 375 spine. There you go. 
All right. So, Simon, there's your answer. About 30 inches, and then you can cut it down if you need to stiffen it up. Ryan Boyle in Canada says, hey, Big Cat and George, big hello from Vancouver, B.C. Just wanted to let you know that here at our clubs on the West Coast, it's feet of face only for leagues of practice. No five spot ever. I said it was the East Coast thing. It's a Midwest. Well, that too. Yeah. But not a Vancouver thing. All right. But two is two questions. He's running an Easton X10 front 33 stabilizer, but side rod is a POS rod I need to replace ASAP. <laughs> what would be a better match, the new Z-Flex or AC Pro? Or mm-hmm. that being said, any 8 to 10-inch X10 side rods kicking in the back room somewhere, uh, buy yourself an AC Pro. That's the best bang for your buck. Yeah, or the Microflex side rod. The new one, yeah. The new Microflex side rod is actually While a While you're at it, value. just go ahead and get the new Microflex front rod, too. Well, actually, it's better than that X10 front rod. Yeah. I switched over. Switched over. Yes, that's the nice part. I switched over to Deep Six Knox recently for my arrows. By the way, um, as I'm reading this, Gary Cornum's email reply to my pointing out the French is wrong on the pin just came up. I can't wait to read it. <clears throat> Moving on. I switched over to Deep Six Knox recently for my arrows and love them. I have noticed a difference in the quality of shot and arrow flight, but are there any plans for more colors of Knox soon? Would love to see a neon green, not the clear green, or something more than the blue and red. Me too. Solid. They want a solid green, which probably won't happen. Yeah. He, Not the translucent. No, he means like a – he doesn't mean the, the regular green. He means like lemon-lime, I think. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. I don't, yes, yeah. Ryan, we want to do some more colors of those things. Yeah. Um, and let's see here. We had one more that I was going to get to. You're You're not supposed to leave me hanging here with dead air. You know, I. He's tired from all his practice. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's tired from he's tired from those six shots he had. To, this is three, probably. Three you know what I'm thinking? Gear down, flaps are extended. We're yeah, about to touch. Yeah, the you know we'd already we'd already pretty all much right. ended the show. Okay, so I can't start the engine back up again. It's hard for me. All I right. was running on fumes this last twenty minutes. Dead stick landing. And he's running sh- on fumes because he has only shot what? How many arrows today? Three. Three arrows today. End of show. End of show.